Hosting for With the First Link on the Trek Geeks Podcast Network is brought to you by Fansets, creators of cool pins and other memorabilia from your favorite franchises. Visit fansets.com and use code TREKGEEKS, all capital letters, at the checkout for your exclusive 10% discount. Hello and welcome to With the First Link, the podcast that hopes to make our future as bright and as just as the one that we see in Star Trek The Next Generation. And we think that one way to do that is to recap and discuss the entire series one episode at a time, doing our best to look at it all through an anti-oppression, pro-diversity, anti-racist lens. I'm Ruthie Cowper-Samoshi. And I'm Matthew Simone, and today we'll be talking about The Measure of a Man. This episode was written by Melinda M. Snodgrass and directed by Rob Shearer. It first aired on February 11th, 1989. I'm so excited to do this episode, Matthew. This is the first of, like, the classic TNG episodes that I think we've done. So last week was the first of, like, the early season episodes that I, I'll actually go back and watch on a regular basis. Right. And then this one is also one of those episodes, but it's also a defining episode, right? It, there's, like, all of, it basically inspired all of the entire first season of Picard. I, I'm behind on the second season, so I haven't watched that yeah. yet, but... Uh, talking about android rights and yeah and rights in general which is yeah. an important thing right now yeah maybe let's talk about that so for for today's check-in um a little while ago there was a leaked draft of a u.s supreme court decision which is gonna have fairly uh significant impacts if that actually becomes real on people's rights so the the draft itself is about reproductive rights but that is going to extend to all sorts of rights of bodily autonomy that's basically what this episode is about bodily autonomy right yeah and and in fact data will will bring that up quite clearly through the through the conversation about his own rights and his right to choose and that personhood is so linked to that right it is we were struggling at first to come up with the check-in discussion here. One of the things that you also mentioned was about how society shifts and moves and how, because you were linking this to time travel as well in terms of like the flow of society, right? In leading up to recording this, I was also watching or finishing up watching the second season of Picard. And I don't want to spoil that uh, for you if you choose to watch it or for anyone else. But I think I just, what I, what, one reflection I had as I was watching that was that it's a very archy series big moments are really built up like the whole premise of that of, of the second season is about fixing something in the timeline because there's this one pivotal moment where if things go one way the world is going to be amazing and 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 that that just and bright future that we see in Star Trek Next Generation that we always love to talk about. But if things go another way, they're going to it's going to be this horrible fascist society. Right. I think it's important to talk about the decisions we make and how those are going to impact our future. And that also comes up in this episode, right? That Captain Lavoie needs to kind of speak to the future. But I also think that not necessarily intentionally, but just by virtue of being a more episodic show of not having as as clear arcs as Picard has. I think that what TNG shows really nicely is that every every moment is important. What that kind of says to me is that 
we always have the option collectively. I don't think this is an individual thing, but collectively, we always have the option to shift where we are headed as a society. We always have the option to put our world on a more just path, right? We always, I think like one thing that has been really frustrating for me to hear recently, both in regards to the pandemic and in regards to climate change, is for so long, especially with climate change, for so long people were saying like, oh, it's okay, it's not that bad. We still have time, so we don't have to make any huge changes right now. We still have time. It's not that bad. We still have time. We still have time. And then all of a sudden, that shifted and it turned into, oh. It's too late. It's too late. We might as well not do anything. And I feel like similar stuff happened with the pandemic where it's like, oh, these restrictions are so much. It's not that bad. The peaks aren't that high. And then it was like, eh, we're all going to get it anyway. So we might as well just not have any protections. Right. That's really frustrating. I mean, I think we could have made so many decisions earlier on. And it's not too late to make decisions that will make the world better. Maybe not maybe not as good as it could have been, but better. So and I I just think in in this in this series, because it's so episodic, you know, we we see them make decisions, like in this episode, they make a decision, and then the world just keeps keeps going. And it's not the rest of the season is not about the fact that data has been like has had his right to bodily autonomy recognized. That's not what the rest of the series is about or the rest of the season is about. That's just, that was just this one thing that happened and lots of other things happen. And that kind of, I think, is a more accurate depiction of, at least to me, how these big moments actually feel because they, they're they not huge moments. They're, it's always a series of little moments that, that, you know, set us on a, like the path is, is created by those little moments. So that's how I think society shifts and changes and moves. Yeah, and so I, I think you, I think we do have these pivotal moments, but they, they're not in a vacuum, right? Right. So like, like Roe v. Wade being overturned isn't just happening all of a sudden, right? There is, there are decisions that were made and and cultural shifts that were made all the way up until something like that happens. Yeah, and it's also not the last thing. No, like, like that's one thing that will happen, and then things, other things will happen as a result of that. Yeah. So it's not just about that one thing. Yeah. So it's not like as if we go back in time and we, you know, if we change, say we change one of the justices, say that was possible. Like we went back in time and we time traveled and we changed one of those things. It's not as if like, I, I don't know, maybe society would go in a different direction, but it was already heading in this direction to begin with. Right. Yeah. And and there's a reason why the other things have been put in position for this to all sort of occur. It's been something that's been building to probably since the 70s <laughs> when the original decision was made. Yeah, I guess we we tend to think that like, oh, if we can go and change that one thing in history, uh, and I do, I think they do think there are pivotal moments, but they don't. Yeah, they they happen as a result of other decisions that are coming along the way that lead up to a thing to happen. I, I, sometimes we miss them. I, I think we miss some of that stuff. Yeah, the steps along the way. We're not always because it unless we get hit one of those pivotal moments, maybe we. We don't see them at first or we don't see them coming. And I think it's one of the things with climate change. It's almost like we tend to respond more to shock. That's why we talk about the shocks a lot. But then other when we do the like the aftermath of that shock, we'll say, oh, wait a second. There was all these things kind of leading up to this moment that we kind of missed along the way. Yeah. I used to be part of a, a like, as you know, a very conservative religious community. Uh, and abortion was one of those things that was often talked about. It was 
it was something that was like taught to us as being that like one human rights issue we need to really care about because this is protecting the innocent basically yeah but then i realized that like it is one of the things that took me out of the church was that it didn't seem uh, like our community didn't seem that concerned about any of the other human race that were um being left in the wayside by our society and like basic things access to to education to healthcare, to food um addressing poverty just stances that i couldn't reconcile or understand on like lgbtq rights i was like okay so why all the emphasis then on a person coming into the world but then nothing to care about them afterward and i didn't understand that i was like that doesn't make any sense to me this is one of those things where like i like i had a big like shift on this my thinking around this as well during the course of my life and it's and so I, I think I also I get frustrated then when I, people can't meet me there as well, like because mm-hmm. I know I've gone through it. I know that there are people that genuinely think that like this is this is better for society because they're not, but they're not thinking about that. Um, they're not thinking about the choice element and how important that is and how how we need to be given choice and how choice is so fundamental to our humanity uh, <laughs> and to our personhood, which is what this episode ends up being all about. Yeah. Well, as you were talking about these, this, the idea of preventing abortions as a human rights issue, that like, isn't it interesting that certain groups will promote human rights when those human rights also give them control over the the bodies and lives of people who have less power than them. One of the linchpins for me in in trying to think through this when I was leaving the church community was also that like the other decisions, other policy choices were in fact creating the need for more abortions. Yeah. Limiting access to sexual health education or birth control, access to birth control. Yeah. I guess we <laughs> I know we struggled with like finding one <laughs> simple check-in for the beginning of this episode because it oh, covers so many ways. things. I think all of these things are 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 true. Like when you look at Star Trek, I I when more I thought about it when you're you're pointing around like sort of the way time travel is depicted in Star Trek and about those pivotal moments. But you're right, it's like you'd have to change so many things, I think, beforehand. And they actually talk about this in Doctor Who a little bit, where they're like, Doesn't time travel create all these paradoxes? Like when you change these like pivotal moments and the doctors like there's kind of they kind of go back and forth on this philosophy, but the doctor's like the flow of time is actually kind of like a stream. And in some ways, when you change a thing, there's a disturbance, but the water kind of flows over top of it and it keeps going. And, right. and I think in some ways, society is the same. It gets this like momentum and a direction. Changing that in one moment or another is going to be hard. You have to like dig a whole new path and it takes time and, and effort and work. And it's hard. Yeah. And that's why it, it takes, you know, that constant sustained pressure. I don't know it's, if it's always as easy as going back and moving or changing one thing yeah or even like in in a non-time travel thing it's not just about influencing these pivotal moments it's also about and responding to these pivotal moments it's also about what happens in between them and what do we do in between them well that was an intense opener (laughs) it was this is this is where we're at right now this is this is the world we're living in it feels yeah well do we want to do we want to jump into things? Yeah, Matt, why don't you tell us what happens in this episode <laughs> if we haven't made it clear enough? In this episode, Data resigns his commission to avoid being dismantled by an inadequately skilled scientist and ends up in court with his rights to personhood and bodily autonomy in question. I would just like to point out that that inadequately skilled scientist, I'm pretty sure I got that from like 
IMDb, like this, the official summary. It's not just, it's not just us saying that. No, yeah. There's well, there's also like question in within the episode itself oh, yeah. as to as to as to the scientists' specific skill sets. One of my favorite pieces about this episode is like how people talk about how Maddox has no clue what he's doing, including Data. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's great. It's great. Yeah, we're gonna see some shade thrown there. Yeah. So the ship is en route to a newly established starbase. Yeah, Starbase 173. Doesn't matter why they're there, but we get our first ever poker scene. When you're rewatching the series and you're so familiar with it, it's hard to know when firsts have happened again. So I wrote down in my notes, I'm like, is this the first poker game? It is. It is the first poker game. And apparently it wasn't even in the original script uh, originally because basically they just needed something to have Data be able to talk about the like reading about something isn't the same as doing it. And originally they were going to do that with him swimming. He was he was going to have trouble swimming. That didn't work for shooting. You know, you end up with this. I get you know, you don't even you don't know when the pivotal moments are coming. You end up with this poker scene which is going to take us through to the end of the series that this is going to be a recurring just way that the the crew hangs out and bonds and bonds yeah over poker poker was uh it's a thing that's brought up in the original series as well i don't know if the writers just wanted to continue that tradition it's like poker poker and shakespeare like they are like through all of star trek there's actually shakespeare in this episode as well there is do you play poker matt poker was like became a it was like a thing in university for a while everyone was playing poker like a bunch of people like my housemates got like a poker set and there was chips and and but i was never very good at it and i i found it too uh I don't know, adversarial, I guess, or confrontational. Yeah, same. And But in a weird way, like not as much fun as like shooting people in Halo, which was the other thing we did. <laughs> we played a lot of Halo. We called it Projector Halo. We used to borrow the projector from the school oh, and yeah. then project Halo <laughs> on the wall. Actually, so recently when I was hanging out with my brother, that's how I got to see my brother recently and my sister-in-law and hanging out with my niece. And uh, we played a whole bunch of Halo like all like for like three days straight. And it reminded me of, of hanging out with people back at university <laughs> playing Halo. That's a, that's a, that was our poker was video games. Right. Yeah. I, I was never really into video games either, but I had a hard time with poker because I could never remember what the cards meant. And then the <laughs> other thing I was actually talking about, like, I, I don't know what, what a good hand is. So I would just like call everything. And, but I, I was also talking about this recently with some other people and we were talking about like a lot of it is about, like tricking your friends and that's not fun yeah the me. deception yeah that's yeah. that was the part wasn't i didn't some people were like that or, or were really into it and i found i didn't like it it's, yeah there was the spirit of it was kind of weird yeah. so yeah anyway data is really this is data's first ever poker game he's studied up on poker um but somehow in all of the books that he's read bluffing i guess just has not come up because he thinks this is just like a, a game of chance, you know, and he can figure out pe- what people are doing based on the cards that he sees and based on the bets that they make. And it does not occur to him that someone like Riker will will raise without having good cards. And that is exactly what happens. <laughs> yeah, it's all statistics and probabilities. So he figures he's got this yeah. in the bag and he loses. And then he's like, you had nothing. Uh well, what I thought was nice, though, is that Riker does show what the card was. He does yeah, he show his hand. To. He didn't have to do that. But 
I think that was a way to help data like learn about what's going on. And so, and this is like a data has clearly learned something. He's like, oh, this is a thing that I did not know before that I will have to think about more. Yes. And then we we shift to Starbase 173 where Picard is sitting at a table and he sees Captain Philippa Lavoie. I think they have some history. The strings in the background <laughs> let us know that they have some history. They have a weird dynamic. They do. It's like this love-hate thing going on. Because he's like, oh, you know what I'd like to do to you? And she says, oh, probably bust a chair across my teeth, which is so violent. And he's like, yeah, but after that, like, wow, that is. Maybe it's a similar dynamic later on with, uh, it reminded me of like Vash, this kind of love-hate thing. It seems to be maybe Picard's MO for his relationships, but then. They've got one of those weird fades, fades to black. And we still, it's another one of those fades to black where we still haven't had the episode introduced yet. Yeah, we don't know what's happening yet. We don't know what's happening yet. But anyways, after the intro, Lavoire is in charge of the 23rd Sector Judge Advocate General Office, or the JAG office, yeah. and has no staff except for one uh, terrified ensign, she says. And we get some exposition about their history that Lavoire prosecuted Picard in a court-martial when he lost his first ship. Uh, his first command called the Stargazer, which we learned about a little bit in the first season. Right. And apparently it's standard procedure to have a court-martial when a ship is lost. So she says like she was just doing her duty, at, but Picard says that she enjoyed it. She wasn't just doing her duty and that she always enjoyed the adversarial process more than getting at the truth. And then there's... Like, I, thought, I thought of Twitter when she said that. <laughs> Like, uh, I thought, like, that's the internet. It's the adversarial process more than the truth. Yeah. It seems that she was somehow pushed out of Starfleet after doing this. I guess after daring to prosecute Picard, she she was pushed out of Starfleet, but she came back. I do want to kind of just comment on something and maybe we can track this throughout the series. I want, I, because I can think of a few characters who are introduced as not like, enemies but sort of adversaries to Picard within Starfleet I have a feeling that when we see women who have as much power as Picard or more they're portrayed it's always in this sort of adversarial thing and it's it, upon reflection it makes me a little uncomfortable that like later on we have to chaff yeah like I just <laughs> feel like like there's an admiral in this episode a man who is more responsible, I think, for what's going on than Lavoie is because he brings Maddox. And he doesn't get any flack from Picard. We He disappears. But, you know, I just think there's a little bit, and this is probably, you know, this is an 80s and 90s thing. And uh, I talked about this with my sister um, in Unnatural Selection. We talked a little bit about Pulaski where it was perhaps a more common trope in the 80s and 90s. But this thing of like, for a woman to get power, she has to kind of you know, be unkind to the people around her and she can't. And so that ends up, people end up resenting women in power for that reason. Often people don't like admirals or, you know, anyone who's like, and, and, and so like that higher authority in Starfleet or in this case, the Jag, like they're always portrayed or often portrayed in an adversarial way. Unfortunately, that in of itself almost becomes a trope in Star Trek is like the evil admiral trope you know or the grumpy admiral but like there are there are a number of of women in leadership positions that are not portrayed well in star trek for sure uh and then she calls him a damn sexy man which i think is kind of was sort of awkward so funny she's like but like also a pompous ass yeah you're a pompous ass but also damn sexy man i guess that's an accurate portrayal of (laughs) 
and he looks down kind of all like like shyly when she says it probably not professional i guess but they're not they're not having a professional chat at that moment so it's probably yeah. fine yeah and then all of a sudden nakamura shows up with my favorite character in all of star trek ruthie <laughs> commander bruce maddox the biggest wiener we see so earlier off air we had this conversation about how hard it would be to prevent this episode from being explicit yeah because we have to check the explicit box when we upload this episode and boy if there is one character in star trek that would drive me to uh explicatives explicatives it's bruce yeah swearing it would be bruce maddox oh my goodness Mm -hmm. this guy is like he's this dude's an internet troll that's that's what he is. Like, this would be the guy that would be debating with you on the internet over stuff. Yeah. He is a jerk. His face is just so... It's ugh. punchable. It's just a punchable I face. I want to. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I want to bust a chair across his teeth. <laughs> yeah. So, so Admiral Nakamura says that Maddox has a proposal for Picard. But he's like, but first I want to see the Enterprise. So he doesn't say anything about the proposal. And then we go to the bridge. And so Picard, Riker, Nakamura, and Maddox all enter. And Picard is sort of showing them around the bridge. But Maddox is not interested in the bridge. He is just staring in a really creepy way at Data. And Data is like watching him (laughs) as he's watching Data. And Wesley also notices. Makes Wesley uncomfortable. There's some exposition here where Nakamura explains that the starbase is close to the neutral zone. It's kind of a a presence for the Romulans as well. It's sort of of showing the flag. And then Nakamura talks about how amazing all the previous Enterprises were. And then Maddox is like, yeah, yeah, well, our project. And he just kind of casually like, oh, yeah, Maddox is here to work on your Android. And then then he's, that's it. Why why is that okay? Clearly no thought has gone into like why this might be controversial for the crew. Like I don't think Nakamura doesn't even seem to anticipate there there'll be any resistance to this. He doesn't prep date like Picard on it at all. Yeah, but he also kind of he says to Picard, he says like please take care of it or something like that. And it almost seems like he's like, I don't want to deal with this. Yeah. This is Maddox's pet thing. Maybe he does see that there are gonna be some potential implications, but Maybe he thinks if he doesn't think too hard about them, no one else will notice. Yeah. So maybe he can just leave it in Picard's hands and then and then he just leaves. And he just takes off. Yeah. And then Maddox is like, how have you been, Data? It, it adds even more weirdness to what just happened because it turns out they they know each other. Yeah. Like Maddox and Data have been in correspondence at the very least. Yeah. Data knows who he is. And so when he walks in and they see each other, that moment that they've just had is even stranger. Well, he knows because Data knows this guy who has been staring at him. I like Data's response. Maddox says, how have you been? And Data says, my condition does not alter with the passage of time, which I think when you translate that from Android into human speech, I think that translates into go yourself. Yeah, because he doesn't want, he's not going to say I'm fine because clearly he is not in this moment. He's like, I'm not because you're here. Yeah, you're here. But my condition might alter now because of you. (laughs) But not with the passage of time. Not with the passage of time. So Maddox was part of the committee that evaluated data when, and he says it, first applied to the academy. There is a frustrating hypocrisy in this that'll come up later. But he says that he was the first one who opposed data's entrance because on the grounds that he said data was not a sentient being yeah and he wants to disassemble data yeah i'm going to disassemble data with pride he says it with pride i'm going to disassemble data So excited about disassembling this person who he did not think was fit to be a starfleet officer 
Yeah, and he has that smug look, you know, and, and so we're going to see this now because now there's a dramatic commercial break and they're in the observation lounge now. Yeah. And even the way he's positioned, like Data, again, this is another thing that made me think about current parallels and what's going on. You have a whole table of people, none of them Android, all talking about the fate of an Android and yeah. what's going to happen. Like Maddox literally has his back turned to Data as, as they're talking. Data's not part of the equation here. In fact, like, even when Data is speaking, Maddox just, like, doesn't even turn to face him when he's responding. Like, just, there's so much, it's so disrespectful. Maddox says that ever since he has met Data, he has wanted to understand him. And I am saying him, but Maddox only says it. So he says, I wanted to understand it. I've been studying Soong's work and... Basically, he wants to he wants to create another Android. He wants to replicate data. But to do that, he needs to disassemble and study him. And data, I mean, you know, data has no ego. He doesn't think this is inherently a bad idea. He says it's intriguing. And he asks, he says, have you created a positronic brain? And Maddox looks really proud and he's like, I have. But when Data starts to kind of question him, it, it turns out that Maddox has not created a positronic brain that would be functional. To do that, he needs to take Data's brain apart and figure out what makes Data's brain functional. What really got me is, so Data says, okay, but if you aren't able to do it, like if you aren't able to figure it out, if the answers are not forthcoming, your brain won't work and presumably Data's won't either. Riker says, what are the risks to data? And Maddox says, negligible. And I thought that was really interesting because they're talking about two totally different things. Riker wants to know literally what are the risks to data? What could happen to data? Maddox says the risks are negligible, not because, not because he, like it's, it's not possible that anything would happen to data, but he says the risks to data are negligible because he thinks data is negligible. Data's life is negligible. Right. Yeah. So it's not about, oh, no, no, it's it's very unlikely that I won't be able to make Data, you know, alive again. That's not, that's not what he is saying. He's saying, you know, yeah, we might lose Data, but that's a totally acceptable risk. Yeah, Data points out that Maddox doesn't even really seem to know what he's doing because when he, <laughs> he asks doesn't. him, he's like, he's like, so have you built a brain? And Maddox is like, oh, yeah, totally. And he's like, he asks a, a, about a component of the brain. He calls, I think they're the filament links or basic yeah. neural connections in the brain. He's like, well, have you figured out how to get them working? And he's like, no. no. And, and so Dana's like, well, that's kind of the first step. Like, basically, yeah. you don't know what you're doing. And so he he says right there in the meeting, Dana's like, he doesn't think Maddox actually has the expertise to do what he's claiming to do. Maddox looks very uncomfortable by that. Like, he's basically getting called out by this machine yeah. that he clearly has no respect for right in the middle yeah. of this meeting. Picard says he can't, won't allow Data to submit the experiment. He's like, no. And Maddox's reply is like, well, I thought this might happen. So here I already have the transfer orders and just kind of drop some smugly on the table. And then he's like, so I will see you tomorrow, Data, in my office at nine o'clock. You have no control about this. Am I correct in thinking that you need like an admiral's approval to get transfer orders? Yeah. So, and I don't think he names Nakamura directly, but clearly the orders came from somewhere. So, like Nakamura at least had some, or some admiral who is not not Lavois, someone because Lavois is a captain. Someone had some inkling that Picard might not be okay with this. 
Probably. So, yeah. and when you have, like, that's the sort of thing, you know, when like, <laughs> when someone's like, oh, I didn't think it would be a problem, but you're like, well, then why didn't you tell me about it? Like, right. you know, like if, if you thought this was all on the up and up, why would you have to have these transfer orders prepared already? Maddox says, he's basically like, well, I knew that you might resist. So I went ahead of time, like basically over your head to get the permission. So to make you, it impossible it, for you to, to resist. make it impossible. Yeah. So there's another commercial break and we we end up on the ready room now for Picard and uh, Data to have a conversation. And, you know, he says, basically, we have a problem and that he doesn't want to lose Data. And Data says, it's okay, I won't submit to the procedure. And Picard talks about like Starfleet's interests and implies that the risks might be worth it. He's like, what if what if this actually works out? What if there is a benefit in having more Data's? What what do you think Picard's trying to get at here? Like, why is he saying that? What's his angle? I'm not sure. This is one part of the episode that I wasn't like the writing here wasn't totally clear to me because it's like he is worried. Obviously, he's worried about data, but then maybe he thinks, well, you know, data was super valuable to me and he has all these skills and talents and abilities probably saved the ship already at least a couple times if we add up over the episodes. So maybe he's like, okay, well, maybe this is not a bad thing because then we can have we can have more data on the ship. So people talk about like playing devil's advocate and a lot of the time what people mean now when they do that is that they are just kind of arguing a position that they disagree with just just for fun, just to bug people. And it's it's a really problematic thing to do. But originally the idea of playing devil's advocate, from what I understand, was about like if I think one thing and I want to strengthen my argument for the thing that I believe, I will argue against it so as to come up with a better argument for it. Like, I'm going to look at the opposing side to think, okay, what would what might someone say and how could I counter that argument? And I wonder if Picard is sort of clumsily doing something like that. Okay, well, let's talk about Starfleet's interests. Let's talk about why it might be okay so that we can come up with a better argument as to why it's not okay to force you to do this. I hadn't interpreted it that way, but it, that does make sense. I think I think maybe they were trying to show that given Picard's relationship with Data, he's maybe like he has to look at it from both sides as a commander. So he's thinking about Data's health and well-being, but then he's also thinking, well, you know, like from a commanding perspective, it would actually be really beneficial to have someone with Data's capabilities on every ship. Yeah. In Starfleet. So maybe he's thinking, oh, okay, well, this maybe this wouldn't be such a bad thing. And yeah. but data has to remind him why it, this is not. It doesn't last, yeah. So he he asks here, and I I would be interested in your interpretation of this because this is one part of the episode where I'm I'm not always totally clear what data's point is here, but he asks, uh, he's like, Jordy's eyes are superior to humans' biological eyes. He's like, Why aren't all human officers then required to have their eyes replaced with implants? Yeah. So what what and then he says, it's precisely because I am not human. So what does he mean here by this? Uh, I think what he means is you don't force other officers to like to have their bodies changed for the benefit of Starfleet. Right. So and it's yeah. precisely because he's not human that he could undergo or have to undergo that kind of procedure. Yeah. Or And I would say not human. Also, he's not Klingon, he's not Betazoid, he's not Vulcan, he's not any of those things that he is not at this point being treated as a person. Yeah. Picard realizes now he has a mission ahead of him then. I do want to say something actually before we get sure 
too much more, too much further. I think that this episode has some of the best acting to date. Yes. Of, of any TNT because Data's way of asking that, and I've talked about how brilliant I think Brent Spiner is as an actor, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Data's way of asking that question, it was so good. He makes such a good point and the way he says it and it's amazing. Yeah, it's one of the reasons why I think this episode sticks out so much. Yeah, and I mean, the, the three main people that we see acting in it are Patrick Stewart, Brent Spiner, and Whoopi Goldberg. And they are three brilliant actors, as far as I'm concerned. But I mean, even like some of Jonathan Frakes' acting as Riker, I think is really, really good as well. I imagine that you have, that it, there's inspiration there as, as well when you're reading yeah. a really good script yeah. and if you if you know a script is is powerful and the show is starting to find itself i think by this point for sure it's not floating orbs on a, on a planet you know this is <laughs> this is like some serious stuff that yeah, we're dealing it with, elevates you know? the performance i think yeah absolutely picard dismisses data and then he's like okay he walks over to the computer on his desk and there's like this kind of heroic music like da 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 call up all information on the regulations about Starfleet transfers. He wants to fight this. And so in order to fight it, he has to go to the Jack officer. He shows up on Starbase again and in Lavoie's office. He's like, listen, I need your help. Yeah. This Maddox is trying to take my officer and I'm worried about him being harmed. And she's not super empathetic at first. She's like all this passion yeah, over a machine. she's doing that thing. I don't know. I feel like I have done this in the past and I'm never proud of it. But when you have a sort of complicated relationship with someone and so you resort to kind of teasing them or like mocking their the things that they that that they are saying or that they are doing she's kind of doing that and he kind of has to squash it he's like don't he's like this is important to me yeah this this is serious yeah it's important yeah yeah but she's she's kind of letting the their personal relationship at first get in the way of of their interaction she does then switch to being professional but then she goes back to to doing this. And it's it's not a good look for anyone, including her. I think she tries to diffuse the situation by then saying, well, I'm, I appreciate that you felt you could trust me. And he's like, it's not about trust. You're the person. You're the JAG officer for the sector. So I have to talk to you. Yeah. I had to come to you. Oh, then actually, she doesn't even use the word trust because that's one of the things he says. He's like, you can't even say the word trust. It's not yeah. even in your vocabulary. About Maddox, he's like, I yeah. do not trust that man. And so he says that data might refuse the procedure but as soon as he's under Maddox's command, he doesn't trust that he won't force Data to to, to uh, submit yeah, to the and, procedure. Yeah, and and she kind of points out that Starfleet, like we we agree to certain risks when we join Starfleet, and Picard says yes, we we agree to acceptable risks. We don't agree. He doesn't say this, but I'm saying you don't agree to the risk that you might have your brain opened up and experimented on with the risk of you not being alive after that. Like, that's not a risk anyone agrees to when they join Starfleet. No, that's not what Data signed up for. <laughs> no. And so Lavoie says that he, there is always an option, he can resign. Uh, which is also awful. It's yeah. awful that it would have to come yeah. to that anyways. So that's the option they have. So Data, they're back in Data's quarters and he's packing things up because he's making the decision to yeah. leave Starfleet. And so he's got his little... His little cylinder. <laughs> 
little packing <laughs> cylinder that they use in Star Trek. I'm always like, I don't know how how useful that would actually be because it would be so futuristic. It just rolls away as soon some as future, you put it a futuristic down. bag. <laughs> yeah, and it doesn't like it's all hard edge, yeah. so it doesn't like fit anywhere. Anyways, there's the hologram of Tashi Yar. Yeah. Uh, is this the first time we see I that think hologram? It is. Yeah. I think it might be. Yeah. So he's this little like holographic it's like base. a little a little crystal base thing, and then when he presses a button, she appears. It's the hologram from. I think from her funeral on the holiday. Yes, and we can assume that, you know, it was given to him. And he has these frame medals and then an old book. So he goes off screen to get something else. And Maddox, this is one of these swearing points where I would have, like, he just he just walks into the corner. It's yep. like no sense of boundaries, no respect around that at all. And then just picks up Data's stuff. He just picks up this book and like starts he reading picks up through a it. book that Data has packed. So not only is he just yeah. rifling through Data's stuff, but like Data's packing and he's unpacking his stuff. Yeah, he's unpacking <laughs> stuff. Yeah, it, the guy is, he's such a jerk. Like just, ah, oh. Data returns and it's kind of like shocked to see Maddox just in his quarters. Yeah. Maddox reads, uh, which is from Sonnet 29. Shakespeare's Sonnet 29. Shakespeare's yeah. Sonnet 29, yeah. When in disgrace with fortune and men's eyes, I all alone beweep my outcast state. And then, and then he... Oh, sorry. Yeah, right. I was going to say, and then he, <laughs> so and then he gets the most like cheesy look on his face and he's like, is it just words to you or can you fathom the meaning? And like, he's just so melodramatic and offensive like We're trying to be all like high-minded or like highbrow or whatever but in the meantime he's just walked into a person's quarters with like no respect for that individual yeah. like do you understand the substance of that and that meeting yeah. you jerk yeah like is it just words <sighs> to you that usually we knock before we enter someone's space yeah basically polite to people and data data points that out but maddox doesn't respond to that maddox says i wanted to sort of talk this out with you and try to persuade you your memories and your knowledge will remain intact. Data says, I mean, the interesting thing is Data is kind of talking about this exact thing that Maddox just asked him with the sonnet where he says, like, can you fathom the meaning? And da right. Data's like, yeah, my memories and my knowledge will remain intact, but or or more more accurately, the facts and the information will remain intact. But the meaning Will not. You can't just copy and paste the personality. Yeah. So Data's concerned that like, yeah, I guess even if they re-upload his mind back into his body, that he might not be himself anymore. Or if they if they put it in a computer somewhere else. Yeah, that's a scary thing to think about. Absolutely. Data is recognizing that he has a personality. Like, you know, this is, mm -hmm. that, that this, there's, a, there's a part of him that could be lost. He compares it to poker. <laughs> He's like, I read everything there was to know about poker and I still didn't understand it. So you can't just take everything there is to know about me yeah. and then and then it'll be preserved. Yeah. So the data's like, well, I'm not coming because I'm going to resign. Because yeah. Maddox is like, well, he doesn't care one way or another. He's coming with you. And data's like, well, no, I, I resigned from Starfleet. And then Maddox is like, you can't resign. And this is so infuriating yeah. because he was the one who didn't want data yep. to be in Starfleet to begin yep. with. But now that he is... He's trying to leverage that to take data away. Huh. And I was like, what a hypocritical piece of... Yeah. Well, the other thing, though, that I feel makes this kind of scary in a different way for me is also like, okay, so Maddox didn't want data to join Starfleet. What did he want to happen to data? Did, like, did he have other ideas for what would happen to data? Did he think that data should just be in a lab, it, like in some Starfleet computer lab? 
and that he would study him. Yeah. So I don't know. Like maybe his plan beforehand was even worse. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's like. Ugh. Yeah. One thing that I do find interesting is that they, they both sort of make a, a, a case. Well, Maddox doesn't make much of a case, but they're they're talking about protecting Soong's dream. And so Data says that he's resigning and he, it's not because he wants to protect himself, but it's because not with any sort of like ego or vanity, but he's saying that he is unique. He is the culmination of a lot of work that Sung did. And that if he is destroyed, that will be a loss to the world. Yeah. I mean, I would say that while that's true, that's not why Data shouldn't be dismantled. <laughs> like Data shouldn't be dismantled mm-hmm. because Data shouldn't be dismantled because he is a person. He's a person. The way that he's framing it is this will be a loss to cybernetics and 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 the the world. And Maddox basically says, well, yeah, I I also need to protect Soong's dream. And what he his idea of protecting Soong's dream is to create more androids that if there's just one, that's actually not good enough. There's a, a statement here that Data makes that I thought is kind of I like it. I think about it a lot in terms of creativity. And when Data talks about what Soong accomplished, he says uh, that he added to the substance of the universe. And I, I really love that phrase because I, I wonder, I want to I want to feel that way when I make stuff. Like if I ever create a thing or I have a project, I want to feel like I'm adding to the substance of the universe. Yeah. I just thought it was a beautiful way to talk about someone's uh, dream and their accomplishment. It is. I mean... No, I, I mean, I think that that is an argument for just kind of being creative. I think anytime we create mm-hmm. things, we are adding to the substance of the universe. It doesn't have to yeah. be an android or, you know, it doesn't have yeah, to be like a as significant as, as that, <laughs> a, a whole new form yeah. of life. I think any any art, any scientific contribution, I think, is adding to the substance of the universe. Back on the Starbase, Maddox is trying to seek now a legal way of forcing Data to comply. So they're in Lavoie's office. Maddox says that they're, that there's like a logical flaw here, that they're being irrational and emotional because Maddox says that Picard is endowing Data with human characteristics because it looks human and it wouldn't be doing this if it were like a box on wheels. And I, the, the other irony to this is that like Data doesn't have emotions. Right. Yeah. And so he data can't be irrational by this definition. Right. And so data's just like responding to his own self-preservation. So for Maddox to say, "Oh, everyone's res- is is responding to this irrationally or emotionally," doesn't make any sense. He's also like accusing Picard of being overly emotional. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Like it's not out of out of worry for data's feelings. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Interestingly, we will later on get this question will come up about a box on wheels much later in the series. Um, we will. Oh, we'll not be. quite wheels, but uh, little. Anyway, we'll get oh, there. Oh, yeah. Oh, I don't yeah. about it. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, yeah. he says that, like, if I can create more androids, the horizons for human achievement become boundless, which let me, sorry, if if you need to create androids to make the horizons for human achievement boundless. Maybe it's more the horizons for Android achievement that will become boundless. But he's basically saying like, wouldn't it be great if every ship in Starfleet could have a data and they we could send them into dangerous situations. And then he says that data must not be permitted to resign. Brutal. Brutal. Yeah. 
And then he says, so like Picard is like, what? Who do you think you work for? You can't just like stomp on someone's rights because it doesn't like work for you. And then he has a tantrum. He does. Basically. He's like, well, what about my right to not have my yeah. work subverted by ignorance? Like, that's not a right. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I'm sick to death about hearing about rights. So I was like, wow. Wow. This reminded me of how people responded to mask mandates. Yeah. And it's this confusion and on Maddox's part as well of rights versus desires or will. Right. You actually don't have a right to not have your work subverted. That's not a right. And that's nowhere near like, let's see, we have got two things going on here. Bodily autonomy and wanting to continue on my pet project without any interruption. You might die, but I'm going to be really disappointed if yeah, I can't do I'm what I want to do. Like, oh my God. But people, people conflate this yeah. all the time. You know, and we saw this happening. It's, it's coming from a place of privilege to not be able to make that distinction between rights and 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 will or uh, rights and discomfort. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's what Maddox doing. And he's basically having a temper tantrum. They sort of go back and forth for a while until Maddox says, let me put it this way. Would you allow the ship's computer to refuse a refit? And the the implication is that, of course, they wouldn't. But I actually would push back against that if the ship's computer refused a refit i think that would be worth investigation exactly that's <laughs> the, the argument doesn't even make any sense because they're like well the, the computer can't refuse a refit that's the point of how data is different yeah. if, you make decisions. If, if the computer became so i guess like like he says self-aware and conscious that it it did refuse a refit then yeah then you'd have to kind of look at okay what are we doing with this computer the computer has wants and desires maybe we shouldn't give it a refit maybe we should put a new computer in the ship but basically Lavoie says and this is where the what the episode is going to hinge on she says the difference is that the enterprise computer is property right and that's when this word is introduced and that's important yeah property and Maddox says that of course data is also property and Lavoie says well there might actually be law to support that idea. Picard knows that this is now going to basically go to trial and tells Lavoie he says to her I hope you'll you'll pursue this with the same zeal that you did in the Stargazer court-martial. Now we're in 10 forward Data is having a going away party which is sad obviously but he has these gifts from people and so Data is unwrapping this book and he's doing it so gingerly and basically Wesley's like look just just rip it open yeah. and he's like with the application of a little care Wes <laughs> uh, we could recycle the paper which I don't need I don't think you even really need to recycle anything on the Enterprise this is how I try to open gifts I always end up ripping it by accident but I wonder if it's because I saw this episode at a young age and I was like well I'm gonna open presents yeah I always like follow the Wesley side I'm just like rip it apart <laughs> so he rips it apart and it's a it's a gift from Worf and it's a book called The Dream of Fire by Karatok, uh, who says that the novel attained its full stature in the hands of the Klingons. And of course, Pulaski disagrees. Of course, Pulaski disagrees. <laughs> she surprises nobody by disagreeing. This is the only scene, I think, with like, well, with Troy, Worf, I think maybe also with LaForge and Pulaski. Like, this is the only scene where we see these other characters it's also i realize it's another uh, screen capture that i can use for birthday star trek birthday pictures because you know as you know oh, i always yeah, send people always a star trek yeah, birthday yeah. picture it's usually picard eating yeah. cake at worst birthday from season seven but this is another one that i'd always forgotten yeah. about so you could use it it's a you can use it as a gift a big yeah <laughs> anyways laforge is kind of sitting away from everyone else sort of sadly not joining in the fun 
And Data approaches him and LaForge says he understands why Data has to leave, but he's upset about it. And he says it's not fair. And Data says, well, Pulaski would likely point out that life isn't fair. And LaForge is like, yeah, but that doesn't actually help. They do this thing. they, They say that they'll miss each other. And then I imagine if this were filmed now, there would be a hug between them. But because you can't have that in the 80s as much, they like... Jordy just puts his two hands on Data's shoulders and and tells him to like take care and it's an yeah. expression of of love between these two very very good friends. It's a nice moment between them. Yeah. Because I I do find in the future episodes that although LaForge and Data have are supposed to have this friendship anyway. Yeah. That LaForge is often pretty cold with Data, I find so uh, it was a nice moment that they have. It, I, there's not a lot like this, but they, they have some. Yeah. LaForge is written pretty inconsistently, and I'm sure we'll get into that later. But Yes. Yeah. yeah. Back in Lavoir's office, she says that based on the acts of the Cumberland in the 21st century, and I don't think we learned what that is, uh, but Data is the property of Starfleet and cannot resign or refuse to cooperate with Maddox. And that was frustrating because I was also like, okay, what could have been going on in the 21st century that would be relevant to... A, like a sentient determining the sentience of an android now like did we have anything back that far that was that advanced I yeah it's too bad that they don't like they don't say at all it's, i feel i do feel it's a bit of a cop-out i understand obviously they had to this whole episode is really about the trial so they had to just kind of get there but it is too bad that we don't actually see what she's like what what is the law that she is basing this on what are the acts of cumberland how did she arrive at this conclusion that data is property? Picard challenges the ruling, but this is the other thing that's frustrating. She made this ruling, probably knowing Picard would challenge yeah. it, but she has no staff. Yeah. Like there's nothing, there's nothing, the resources to carry out the, the challenge of the ruling are there. So the senior officers have to serve as legal counsel. So Picard will be the defender. But unfortunately, that means Riker will have to prosecute. Riker tries to refuse, right? He says he can't. It, he He happens to know better, so he can't say that Data is just a machine and he, he's not willing or qualified. And Lavoie says, well, if, if you refuse, then I will rule based on my findings. And we get a nice uh, nice franchise hop when she says Data is a toaster, like in Battlestar Galactica. Data is a toaster, yeah. Riker's like, okay, well, I see that I, I don't have any choice. I have to do this. Yeah. I really like Riker's response at first. He's like, I can't, I won't. Yeah. Data... Not only is Data my friend, he saved my life, but I also just believe that this is wrong. And so I'm not going to support it. But unfortunately, he has to. Yeah. And she also tells him if she finds that he is not doing his absolute best, she will end it right then and there. Riker, it's interesting. He looks like he's like about to, I don't know what he's about to do, but Picard kind of just like puts his hand on Riker's arm and Riker just just leaves the room. And Picard says, listen, you don't have to remind us of our duty. Just remember yours. And she says, I've never forgotten it. Not then and certainly not now. So in the ready room, Picard tells Data about Lavoir's ruling. And then Data says, (laughs) (laughs) such a good line. He's like, I can only hope that Commander Maddox is more capable than it would appear. (laughs) It's like such shade. It's such shade. Yeah. (sighs) Burn from Data. Yeah, but Picard explains he has challenged the ruling. And he says, yeah. I have been asked to represent you, but, you know, if you want anyone else, that's fine, too. And Data has uh, complete confidence in Picard's ability 
to represent. Himself. Yeah, I think he even I think he even interrupts yeah, the captain to say that. Like the captain is kind of he's trying to say that you know you can find someone else, and then he's like, "Sir, I have complete confidence yeah. that that you can represent me." Yeah, yeah, which is nice. We get a little uh, another access code. You know how I like hearing the crew's access codes. They're different every episode. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. Riker is like trying to pull up Data's uh, schematics, and he says. Access code Theta Alpha 2737 Blue Enable. And I, I don't know if the enable is part of the access code or if he's just, that's now he's saying like like hitting enter. He says enable. Anyway, I yeah, like that except one. We, we know now that it would be like, I love jazz 2478 <laughs> exclamation mark or whatever. Like that's, <laughs> that's what it would, it would actually be. Now that we know more about passwords and how we have to have some. Yeah. He looks over the schematics and he's kind of sipping his coffee and he notices something. I'm guessing what he notices is the off switch. Yes. Yeah. And so then he, you kind of see on his face, he realizes, oh, okay, here's how I'm going to win the case. And then he's like, oh, crap, here's how I'm going to win the case. The facial expression there is really good because you can feel what's happening. The music goes with it, too. At first, he's like, oh, man, this is a great point for for my debate and then you're like oh man but i don't want to win so but he is in a really impossible position because he he has to try to win because if he doesn't try to win then data will lose but also if he wins then data will lose (laughs) so it is a very it's a really tough position for Riker, and 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 at the end of the episode data acknowledges that which is which yeah. is important. We're back at Lavoir's office and the hearing has now started. So now we have a trial. There's the two sides. We've got Riker and Maddox on one side. We've got Picard and Data on the I other. I don't fully understand why Maddox is there because this trial isn't actually about him at all. I feel like he's just there as an audience and potential witness, but he's not like, this is about, this is a, this is just about Data's rights. This is not about Maddox's anything. Like this is not a trial about whether Maddox can do the experiment. This is a trial about whether data can refuse anything. That's a good point. And I think I think it's there for, you know, to have that adversarial yeah. nature of the of the room and him for being sure. there and for us to look at him and be like, oh, you smug <laughs> jerk. And then he's sitting now, but even the way Maddox stands is like so off putting. Like he has his his hands behind his back and sort of his hips like always thrust forward all the time. And it's just uh He it's stands and walks like someone who has much bigger muscles than this person actually has. <laughs> like he he's got his arms like far away from his chest and like, dude, your arms can hang straight down. You don't have you don't have muscles holding them out. Calm down there, Maddox. Yeah. Calm relax. Down. Yeah, this there's some there's some issues going on here with this guy. Yeah. Riker calls Data to the stand. He said he's like the the lone piece of evidence that we want to talk about. Data kind of puts his hand on. I was going to say this is like the kind of the atheist Bible, <laughs> basically that we have. It's it's this sort of like this little tablet, and when you put your hand on it, it's you know like people swear in a courtroom setting, but it's not obviously like a it's not a holy book. It's just something that it begins to read back. At first, it identifies who Data yeah. is, and then it starts listing his awards. And Riker wants to skip that, but Picard's like, wait, wait, stop. I want this read out in the court. This shows what what he's accomplished, and 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 is also, I think, speaking to Picard's point that Data is a person. Yeah, he's, he's done these Starfleet things. Starfleet does not award. So what what he's gotten? He has the Starfleet Command decoration for valor and gallantry, Medal of Honor with clusters, Legion of Honor, the Star Cross. I don't think Starfleet awards these decorations to property. That's right. Yeah, and or to a computer, like the ship's computer doesn't to get the ship's computer. Awards. Yeah, the ship's computer does not get the Medal of Honor with clusters. 
And Riker looks a little embarrassed now that he asked for that to happen. Riker then asks Data what he is. And he says he's an android defined as an automaton. I think he says, does he say Webster's? Webster's like 24th century. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, yes, Webster's Dictionary is still around (laughs) in a few hundred years. So he says defined as an automaton made to resemble a human being. And then Riker leads Data to saying, you know, he says, "What? who were you built by? And he's like, Union Singh. And he's like, yeah, but who was he? And he's like, a person, a human? And that's the point he's trying to get across. He asks about Data's memory capacity. So it's 800 quadrillion bits. Linear computational speed is 60 trillion operations per second. And I I guess he's just kind of getting at like, these are not, almost like this is not natural or like, he asks. Yeah, try to get data to like list his text. Yeah, and you know, basically to say that he's he's not you know, he's not a person. Right. So then then he wants data to bend a rod of par steel, which has a tensile strength of forty kilobars. So much tensile. So much strength. tensile strength. And Picard objects because he says there are many species that have uh, mega strength, and so this is not relevant. But Lavoie disagrees, and so data bends it. And then Riker asks, he says, sort of drawing on the schematics that we saw of lore, I want to remove Data's left hand. Again, Picard objects and like everyone looks at him kind of confused, like even Data. And then Picard is kind of resigned and he says, like, you know, never, never mind. It doesn't matter. Withdraw. I think he's feeling like Data's being violated. Yeah. He doesn't want that to happen, but everyone realizes that that this this is part of the line of questioning and so it just it just continues. Did you ever watch the show Caprica, like the spin-off of Battlestar Galactica? I I did. Yeah, I watched it's a, it was a yeah. long time ago and I only watched it through once. Okay. But yes, so I did I, I, did I watch don't it. actually think I ever watched it all the way to the end, but I there's a scene early and feel free to skip if you don't want spoilers for a show that was canceled over a decade ago. <laughs> but Unfortunately, yeah. yeah. But there's this scene where so basically like it's about the creation of the Cylons and which are these sort of robots but they have sort of personalities and what has happened is the person inventing the Cylons he doesn't fully know it but the a brain image of his daughter who has recently died has been uploaded into this robot. And that makes the robot like just way, way, be able to do way more things. And the there's a scene where he's kind of showing off this robot to the board of his science company or whatever. And he's like, look at all the cool things it can do. And, you know, you get the feeling it has a real personality. And it's also super loyal. And so... And it's and and in the scene, it's cutting between the the robot, which is what everyone there sees, and the the actor who plays the daughter. So we, as the viewer, we can see that this is not just the the robot, but this is also his daughter. And then to sort of show how loyal the Cylon is, he says, "Rip off your arm." And just mm. the look on the daughter's face is heartbreaking. I can't remember. I think it might be actually even the same arm that she she has to rip off her left arm but it, it it really I was struck by that because like I mean Riker has to do this I'm not t- saying this as something like against Riker but he has basically he has used the trust that data put into him to now and data has his schematics uploaded onto the ship's computer so there's a level of trust with that to now prove that data is not worthy of 
rights of personhood of autonomy that was i mean that was mm-hmm. very apparent in this in this scene in in caprica i th- i think earlier when i watched this episode like as a teenager I, I wasn't really struck by how much of a violation that is i'm just gonna take off your arm yeah that's i think that's why picard is objecting but he he doesn't he, he, he can't he can't make the argument at that moment as to why this shouldn't be happening. And so that's why he, I think, kind of retracts it. He probably could have said just that, that this is a violation. But they're trying to figure out whether that's or not it thing. is. That's the thing. In order to say thing. that, he has to prove that it's a violation. To let it happen. And yeah. it's it's so upsetting. It is, yeah. Yeah. And so Riker, yeah, Riker leans in and he apologizes to Data, who kind of whispers yeah. an apology yeah. as he takes off Data's arm. And so he releases Data's arm and it kind of like swings free. There's this moment where you just like the fingers slowly close and you hear like this little like kind of robotic whir. Yeah. And then he brings that arm over and puts it on the table. So he's got like now a collection of of his evidence. He's got this bent bar because Data is able to bend the bar. And he's got the hand and he puts it down in front of Lavoir. Yeah. And then he says, you know, Commander, the Commander is a physical representation of a dream, an idea conceived of by the mind of a man. Its purpose is to serve human needs and interest. It's a collection of neural nets and heuristic algorithms. It responds. Its responses are dictated by an elaborate software written by a man. It's hardware built by a man. And now, and now a man will shut it off. And he hits, he reaches behind Data's and hits Data's emergency override switch. And Data just slumps over on the ground or slumps over in his chair. And then he says, Pinocchio is broken. Its strings have been cut. And it's like, holy smokes. hard to watch especially the Pinocchio thing because Riker called Data Pinocchio in the first episode and oh, it was almost like I an hadn't thought of that. thing yeah and I mean that was oh, also yeah. Riker was wow. still kind of learning that Data was that Data was a person because he thought you know your your rank is probably just sort of you know it's not a real rank and Data's like nope I have I went through Starfleet Academy I have been I have worked up this is not just a nominal rank and now, yeah, now Riker says Pinocchio is broken. All the times I've watched this episode, I never, I didn't remember that callback. Yeah. But yeah, good point. Good catch. Yeah. That's even, even more hurtful. Picard and Lavoir both look shocked when Data collapses. And Picard's like, he's like, oh, that was a really good yeah, point. Yeah, Riker looks like he's going to throw up. Like, yeah, he's disgusted yeah. with Maddox, himself. Maddox, of course, looks smug. So Picard doesn't know what to do in that moment because this is you know it was a devastating opening blow by Riker and so he's he asks for a recess what was Picard planning on saying here and also what did he think Riker was going to say because Riker didn't say anything that like is surprising this is all stuff that Picard knew he knew that Data had this super strength I understand why they had to do that for the sake of the story but his a little bit I was like what was Picard going to say Maybe he didn't think Riker would go that far. Maybe, yeah. Maybe he never conceived the fact that they they would go for the off switch, yeah. you know. And and he doesn't know that Riker knows about that either, right? Because right. Data only told a few people, and then Lorwyn so told everyone. Did. So Lorwyn told everyone, and so yeah. Anyways, they're back on temp four now, and Picard's taking a break. And if you're in an overwhelming situation or you need some wisdom. You go and talk to Guinan. So Picard tells Guinan that that Riker's presentation was devastating, he says, and that it was almost convincing to him. Guinan points out what makes Picard's job so hard is that, like, nothing that Riker said is untrue. You can't argue against any of it because by his own admission, Data is a machine. (laughs) She gets another nice burn in on Maddox because Picard says, like, you know, it's not that I'm worried about 
data doing something dangerous. I have sent people on far more dangerous missions. And Guinan says, well, this could be fine. Maddox could get lucky. <laughs> yeah, because it won't be by his own skills. Yeah. You know, it's not an accident that they have a black woman saying these lines. But it's Guinan knows exactly what she's saying all through this scene. But it does take Picard a while to get there. So she she says Maddox might get lucky and create a whole army of datas, all very valuable. And she kind of, the way, you know, she says that very valuable. Picard doesn't understand its meaning just yet, but he will soon. She, she kind of starts like asking these leading questions and having these leading prompts about data's value, how valuable mm-hmm. he's been to Picard and to the Enterprise. And then she says, and now he's about to be ruled the property of Starfleet. That should increase his value. And now he's about to be ruled the property of Starfleet. That should increase his value. In what way? Well, consider that in the history of many worlds, there have always been disposable creatures. They do the dirty work. They do the work that no one else wants to do because it's too difficult or too hazardous. And an army of data is all disposable. You don't have to think about their welfare. You don't think about how they feel. Whole generations of disposable people. He's talking about slavery. I think that's a little harsh. What do we do as a society? Like, is society created so that we can own more things, that we can have ownership over people, over places, over planets? Like, when I think about exploration then and and what I would like it to be, it's not it's not about the flag planting or the ownership or the coercion then that comes with that ownership or with that property. It's so that you can like experience things and learn and grow and and so it's it's like I feel like right now we're especially where the earth is at and and the people who are championing space exploration it's like we're exporting the worst of ourselves out into the universe right now and and it's that it's so disappointing because the whole idea that i thought of going into space the very leaving of the planet the crossing of the threshold into that frontier in the roddenberry view was because we had become better we had done something to shape our society into something that was better, that was just. And that's why we ventured into space. That the getting there required that of us. I think one of the more shocking things as an adult looking back on childhood is that that is not at all what's happening right now. Like we're not, those that's not that's not to say that's all of what's going on with space exploration, but right now some of the leading forces of this are not people I would want to be representing us in the cosmos. Let's put it that way. Fair. Totally fair. Yeah, they're they're more on the Maddox side. Yeah, I would say they're definitely more on the Maddox side. Yeah. Back to the trial. And Picard, I mean, he starts off by saying everything that Riker said is correct. We do not deny that Data is a machine. That's not relevant. We do not deny that Data was created by a human. Children are created from the building blocks of their parents' DNA. Are they property? And it's interesting if you look at Maddox's face, he kind of, he's like, wait a minute. If you're not going to argue that Data isn't a machine, where are you taking this? Picard's points are really good here because all that 
Riker has done is say that Data is not human. Yeah. yeah. But it doesn't mean that he's not a person. Yeah. And that's kind of where I think the important distinction is. Yes, definitely. Data is on the stand. Picard opens his little his little cylinder and he takes out first the medals. And he says, what are these? Why did you why did you pack them? What logical purpose did they serve? And Data says, I don't know. I, I just wanted them. And so he's kind of showing, you know, is that is this the result of of some someone who is not a person to want something? He asks if it's vanity. Yeah, it's so sweet. <laughs> it's yeah, Picard even smiles. Yeah. He's like, I don't know why I wanted them. I just wanted them. He's like, I wonder if that's vanity. Yeah. Just as an aside, while my rights are up as for an debate. Aside. <laughs> my vein. Yeah. yeah. So Picard takes the book. Data says it was a gift from Picard and that's and that he values it as a reminder of friendship and service. Yeah. And then he takes out the portrait of Tasha and he asks why Data has this one when he doesn't have any portraits of any other crewmates. And Data doesn't want to answer because he promised Tasha that he wouldn't. Picard, I think, already knows what's happened between them. It's funny. I was in watching this because Picard clearly knows what's up. And later, like, Riker doesn't seem that surprised. And I had a little, my own theory, which is totally (laughs) unrelated to anything going on in this episode. There's okay. no way Data told anyone about it. Data said he wouldn't, nope. so he didn't. I bet Tasha told so many people and told each of them not to tell anyone. Oh, that I might think be She case. like went to Riker and was like, listen, here's what happened. I don't know if it was a good idea. And then later she went to Troy and was like, okay, listen, here's what happened. Yeah, and, that, that could be the case. <laughs> like, I think everybody knows, but Data, but Data hasn't told anyone and Data thinks nobody knows. Yeah. Maybe they could even just intuit what had happened from, from Tasha. I don't know. But Picard says, under the circumstances, I don't think Tasha would yeah. mind. Data says, she was special to me. We were intimate. And Lavoir is like taken aback by this yeah. and looks at Riker, who kind of like looks down. And Maddox also seems very shocked. And I think it's, it's two things. Number one is the idea that someone slept with Data is like shocking to both of them. And also mm-hmm. the idea that either because of that or related to that, that that person was then special to Data, that someone could be special to him. So Picard says he has no further questions. So then Picard calls Maddox as a hostile witness. And the computer now verifies all of Maddox's positions, associate chair of robotics at the Daystrom Technological Institute. I think this is the first time we hear of the Daystrom Technological Institute, uh, which was named for a character in the original series, I believe. Yes, there's a, uh, I think, Richard Daystrom, yeah. if I remember his first so, name correctly. He, he builds, like, smart computers right. and stuff. Right, so, and, you know, he's got a lot of papers written, and Picard didn't want to skip Data's uh, decorations, but does want to <laughs> skip Maddox's and says, suffice it to say, you're an expert. Yeah, he's like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> we get it, you hilarious. know computers. Yeah, 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 you're smart. Okay, cool. So he clarifies, he says, is it your contention that Data is not sentient and therefore not entitled to the rights that all life forms in the Federation have? And Maddox says, yeah, no, that's exactly it. Data is not sentient. Picard asks him to define sentience. And And this is where I think, I mean, to me, this is the right way to go. This isn't a question of what is Data. This is a question of what does it mean to be a person? What does it mean to be alive? Yeah, prove it. He defines sentience as having intelligence, self-awareness, and consciousness. And then Picard says, prove to the court that I am sentient. And I think that's, and this kind of gets to, to the end of the episode, but that's the thing. You can't say that Data has to prove his sentience 
but everyone else's is just assumed. If you can't prove Picard's sentience, then it's not right to say that Data has to prove his sentience. And sentience is a really hard thing to prove. So Maddox says that that's absurd. He's like, well, Picard, is. you're obviously sentient. He's like, I am? Well, then then show me. Why? He said intelligence is the first qualifications. He's like, is Data intelligent? And Maddox says, yeah, Data can learn and understand and cope with new situations. And Picard asks what self-awareness means and why he is self-aware and say Data is not. And Maddox says, but this, and this, he makes a classic debate mistake here. I notice this. Picard, or Maddox says Picard is conscious of his existence. But consciousness was his third criteria. So he just used the third criteria to define the second (laughs) criteria. I would have destroyed this guy in high school debate club, by the way. Maddox says that Picard is conscious of his existence and his actions and aware of himself and his ego. So then Picard asks, well, Data, what are you doing right now? Data says, I am taking part in a legal hearing to determine my rights and status. Am I a person or property? And his his right to choose and perhaps his very life is at stake. And uh, yeah, Picard points out that seems like self-awareness there. The point here that I think is really important is that his life might be at stake, but he says my right to choose. Yeah. And I think that's so important right now in the, the conversations that's happening in society is that your right to choose is based on your personhood. Yeah. And when we start removing people's choices and freedoms, what we're really saying is that they are not people. Yeah. And that is exactly what has happened in our history. We're always saying, oh, yeah, people should have human rights. No one seems to, to debate that. But we do seem to debate who actually gets to count as human. Yeah. And I want to I want to like also point out this is happening uh, very explicitly with reproductive rights and it's also happening with trans rights. So, you know, having the right to gender affirming care and treatment is very much at stake in certain states and it's happening here as well. It's going to happen here even more. And it's right now being a little more like the focus is more on kids but it'll happen for adults too yeah that's that's exactly it like nobody certainly kind of questions the right for a cis woman to be able to wear makeup and to look good in a way that makes her feel good but when it's Mm -hmm. a trans person wanting to look and feel a certain way no they're not they're not people yeah who gets to count Yeah, who counts as as people as people so Picard then kind of gets to the heart of the matter in a way. And he says, do you like Commander Data? It's like, do you even like him? Because there's always that disdain that he has to dip toward Data, like the whole episode. And Maddox says that he doesn't know Data. He says it, but he doesn't know Data well enough to like or dislike it, which I, yeah, I, I agree. It, it also speaks to this kind of distance that Maddox has been keeping. He doesn't want to get yeah. to know Data because then he can't see him as like a specimen. Yeah, I, that's a really good point. Yeah, for sure. He says, I I don't know it well enough, but he says that I do admire Data as a, as a marvel of, I, I a marvelous piece of engineering and, and programming. And Picard dismisses that because he says that a couple yeah. times during the course of the episode. He's like, yes, yes, as you said all that. But like, what what is the point of this? And Maddox explains that his reason to dismantle Data is to learn and construct more. And then Picard says, how many more? Mm-hmm. Now we're getting to like the point that Guinan was making earlier. And Maddox has no clue. Maddox is like hundreds, thousands, and no limit. He, he walks right into this. And then so he's like, okay, 
thousands of data. He's like, one data is a curiosity, maybe, you know, five, 10. He's like, but thousands, isn't that becoming a race? And he's like, and won't we be judged by how we treat that race? Picard says, what is data? And Maddox says, he's a machine. And Picard says, are you sure? Because he has so far met two of your criteria for sentience. So what if he meets that third one? What if he meets consciousness even in the slightest? What will that make him? And then he, he, says, he says to Riker, do you know? And then he says to Lavoie, what about you? Do you know what that'll make him? Do you? Do you? Do you? Almost gets comical and I like expect him to look at the camera and be like, do you? That would have been awesome. <laughs> I would have been down with that. I'm okay with that. <laughs> so he, he asks Maddox and Riker and Lavoir this question, right? He poses it to them and he says, well, the core room is a crucible where we burn away irrelevancies until we're left with a pure product, right? With the truth. Yeah. And he says that eventually, probably what will happen is that either Maddox or someone will replicate data. Yeah. And then the decision that we're making here today is going to determine how those androids are going to be regarded. Yeah. He says, are you prepared to condemn him? and all who come after him to servitude and slavery. And here's where he gets he gets his line, Your Honor, Starfleet was founded to seek out new life. Well, there it sits, waiting. Yeah, it's such a good point, right? Like, data is a life form. And, and what are we going to do as the Federation? Are we just, are we going to stand by what we say are our principles? Or are we just going to claim... A, like property yeah. of these of a, of a new life form. It gets that. I think I was, I felt a little bit um, vindicated isn't the right word. Maybe affirmed uh, in the episode with Laura. Remember I said that there's a little bit of a, a Frankenstein storyline of like you create life and once you create life, you have a responsibility to it. And I mm -hmm. think that that's kind of what he's saying here. Like this is, this is amazing. What, what Dr. Soong created is amazing and we have a responsibility to it. So then Picard kind of struts over to the table where Lavoir is sitting and he's like, well, you wanted to make new law. Here's your chance. Make a good. Yeah. It <laughs> sits down. Yeah. And there's a, 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 a little cut to Riker and he looks very pleased. He's like, thank goodness my captain is, is so brilliant. Lavoir muses that the case is dealt with metaphysics and questions better left to saints and philosophers that she is not qualified to answer, but she has to make a ruling. So she says, is data machine? Yes. Is he the property of Starfleet? No. We won. Yeah. We won. We won the case. Yeah, she kind of she says that that they've all been dancing around the question: Does Data have a soul? And I don't know that that is language that I would use. But sh what she basically says is like, I don't know that he has one, but I also don't know that I have one. And and she kind of gets at Picard's question of like, prove that I am sentient. That it is not fair. It's not right to put this burden of proof on data when we don't put it on on biological life forms. He has the right to find out what he is himself. Yeah. That the right to choose if he has a soul or to make the make that yeah. journey on his and, own. And her final her ruling is like it is the ruling of this court that data has the freedom to choose. Not that he's a person or that he's sentient, but he has the freedom to choose as a result of those things. Yeah. And that's so important. Yeah. And so data data chooses. He approaches Maddox and he says, I formally refuse to undergo your procedure. And apparently there's some version of the episode, like a truncated version, where it just ends there. 
thankfully data is like uh you know has graceful and and ethical because he could have just walked over to maddox and like thrown him through a wall absolutely no and, and not even that but he just like i mean yes that and also he even says to him continue your work and and i think this is actually really nice he says when you're ready i will still be here like yeah i find some of what you propose intriguing I don't want to undergo this, not because I don't want you to learn more about me. I just don't think you're ready yet. And when you're ready and when I feel sure and confident that this procedure won't pose a danger to me, yeah, I'm happy to to take part. We'll see that happen in the future. There's actually a whole episode based on correspondence with yeah. Maddox. Uh, so we'll see that happen later. So Maddox, I, I wonder if this were like... I'm going to say real life in quotation marks if Maddox would back down as quickly as he has here. But I think he just realizes that he, there's nothing really he can do anymore. So, well, I actually I was wondering about that because I, you know, often in in courts and trials, it you have to convince like the judge or the jury. You don't have to convince the other side because whatever the ruling is sticks. But I actually think yep. that in this case, I think Picard did convince Maddox. I think I think that Maddox was convinced that he was wrong. Well, he seems to respond that way because he does. He looks at Lavoir and and says, you know, he's remarkable, and that's the first time that he's used Data's preferred yeah, pronouns he says he at all. So yeah, he says he instead of it. Yeah, and Maddox kind of looks like he's gonna cry when Lavoir points out that he called he didn't call Data it that time. Yeah, and he smiles and he leaves, and you're like, okay, well. That's a good Star There's Trek ending. For growth here. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely, yeah. I have a bit of an issue. I mean, our, our legal system leaves a lot to be desired, I guess. That's n- nothing new. But Lavoie says to Picard, like, see, sometimes it does work, I guess. But that means that sometimes it doesn't. And so that's not great that that's what we rely on. <laughs> and I think that's the Picard's point earlier when he says, like, it's, it's more about the adversarial process and not to find truth. Yeah. Like he said that that's what it's supposed to be, this crucible for the truth. And that's probably often right. true. And if he hadn't come up with, if Picard hadn't figured that out, then data, then the ruling would have gone the other way. So then Lavoie leaves. And as she's leaving, Picard asks her to dinner. He says he's buying, which I assume he's they buying. mean metaphorically because they've talked about how they don't have money. But that's that was actually a bribe for the judge. He's like, if you rule in my favor, I'll buy you dinner. <laughs> There's a, an unresolved thing here. So back in the observation lounge, Riker is standing by himself, kind of looking thoughtfully out the window. And he is he's sad. Yeah. He's sad because of what has happened. And Data enters and wonders why he's not at the celebration on the holodeck. And Riker says, He's like, Data, I don't have any right to be there since I, I almost won the case and almost cost you your life. Yeah, Data's so sweet. At first, he thinks Riker's upset that he lost. And Riker's like, no, I'm not upset <laughs> yeah. about that. He's like, no, wait, I'm what? I'm sad that I almost won. And, and Data expresses a lot of gratitude for Riker. He, he knows that if Riker had not tried to win, then Data would have automatically lost. And he, he recognizes that what Riker did was was a hard thing to do. He says that action injured you and saved me. So like that, you did something that you really didn't want to do just to save me. Yeah, and he says, I will not forget it. Yeah. yeah. Um, what do you think the celebration is on the holodeck? Do you think it's a Sherlock Holmes story? Oh, that's a good question. I hadn't thought. Um, I guess it could be, it could be anything. I, I, I bet they're all in a Sherlock Holmes story. Maybe that's another reason Riker didn't want to be there. He's like, no, nah, I'm not dressing up. <laughs> I don't, he's like, I don't do cosplay. I'm not doing it. I'm not coming. Okay, fine. I'll... They're like, come on, put on the yeah. hat. Put on the hat, Riker. Do it. He's like, no, I don't want to. I don't deserve to be there. No, 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 no. Yeah, I, I couldn't. <laughs> yeah, it's like, no, honestly, I just don't want to get in costume. <laughs> I think he says he says to Data, he's like, you know, you're a wise man. 
Mr. Data. And Data's like, not yet, but with your help, I am learning. And then they walk yeah. off together. Great episode. Great episode. Oh my goodness. It's just like this. This is why I love Star yeah. Trek. Points a finger back at us. It helps us to evaluate how we perceive rights and freedoms and choice and who gets to count in society and who doesn't. And and obviously still relevant because we're having a conversation yeah. very much about that right now. You know, one thing I, I also kind of wanted to point out about the title of this episode, The Measure of a Man, which I don't love because it's one of those things where they use man to mean person. and But it comes from a few different things. I can't remember. I, I looked this up and now I can't remember, but it's not that important who first said it. Um, but Martin Luther King kind of used it in a speech where he says, the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. Wow. I was thinking about that and I was like, oh, that's interesting because that's not just about data here. That's also about Picard. It's about Riker. It's a little bit about Maddox. It's about the Federation. It's about us as a yeah, society. It's about, yeah, about all of us. It's This isn't just data being measured as a person, but it's also about how do we respond to these inconvenient... It would be way more convenient for, for everyone if if data were property, but we can't, we can't say that yeah. for sure. So... So we're on trial as well. As Q has said, the trial never ends. As Q has said, yeah. Um, I was at some point, like I was thinking back to the fact that data is literally being measured at one point. Yep. Like they measure his operations per second. Yep. They measure how much he can he can bend and twist. And it's like these examinations are supposed to then find out that, oh, in these numbers, that makes you in, you're not human yeah. now. Right. And we do that to ourselves a lot too, right? We'll measure ourselves and we have these numbers and that we used to evaluate who gets to who gets to fit in and who doesn't. And and but all of that is beside the point. It's not about the measurements. It's about like the person themselves and their, inherent, their personhood. Ineffable quality. Ineffable quality. Oof. Well, there we are. That was a good talk. That was a good talk. That was a long talk. It was good. Yeah, this is probably one of our longer episodes for a single episode. Yeah. But I figured that would be I the case because there's a lot to talk about in this one. A lot one. to yeah. say. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of With the First Link. If you liked what you heard, please feel free to leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast provider of choice. Our cover art was created by Nathan Nunn, and you can find more of his work at nathannunn.ca. Our theme song is An Amazing Adventure by Flame Lion Studio. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at FirstLinkPod or send us an email at firstlinkpod at gmail.com to tell us about your, your personhood. I'm Ruthie. And I'm Matthew. And if anyone asks you to prove that you're intelligent, self-aware, or conscious, just look at them and say, hey, I'm a Star Trek fan that listens to With the First Link. <laughs> <laughs>